I am super excited to announce that we now have a formal partnership with the Prospect Wizard. And when I say wizard, I mean wizard. Obviously, you have a website. This allows you to convert your website traffic visitors directly into leads. It's not just another chatbot, and it's not AI, but it allows a visitor to call, text, or leave a voicemail. Immediately goes to you, your sales team, or anyone else in the club instantly. MIT shows a study that if you contact the lead within 10 minutes, chance of them converting goes up nine times that of the average. We got the Atlanta clubs on it, Vita Fitness, Gold's Gym, Mountainside, City Fitness, Philly, College Park, become one of the next Halo companies to deploy the wizard. It's easy to use. Go to theprospectwizard.com, get a free 30-day trial. Talk to my boy, Dave Gallon. He will get you all set up and let the leads flow based on the wizard. Go get them. This is Pete Moore on Halo Talks NYC. I have the pleasure of having Rena Raphael. She is a health, wellness, tech, and women's issues expert. She started at Fast Company, has written for the New York Times, Los Angeles Times, CBS, NBC News, and has a newsletter well-to-do and is the author of Gospel of Wellness. We're going to be allowed to use the word wellness throughout this podcast, and we're going to flip it into Halo, and we're going to talk about where she sees the industry going. So, Rena, thanks for coming on the show. Excited to chat with you guys. Awesome. So, you know, you started in this industry kind of at the, uh, you know, as a pioneer or, or an evangelist, and you talk a little bit in your book about having conversations and interviews with uh, Gwyneth Paltrow and, uh, you know, David Asprey, and they were obviously on the precipice of, um, you know, new technologies and, and biohacking. So talk about how you made this a career and, um, you know, some of the things that you've kind of been able to diagnose and kind of un- unpackage it and repackage for everyone. Yeah. Uh, so I essentially was working at Fast Company Magazine. I was a reporter, mainly doing lifestyle uh, reporting. And I moved to LA, particularly because I was really wellness or halo obsessed. And mm-hmm. uh, I just thought it was a healthier lifestyle. And more and more, my pitches started to sort of reflect my interests until I became a full-time wellness industry reporter. I think I was the first one. I mean, this is back in like 2016. Um, and so, you know, I covered everything from fitness to nutrition, to biohacking, to astrology startups, you kind of name it. Um, and yes, my book goes into sort sort of, I would say the changes I saw in the industry over time and some hopeful and some more troubling. Um, at this point, I uh, write for several different outlets from Wall Street Journal to New York Times, the LA Times, and I cover more than just the business perspective now. I cover more of the cultural and sociological aspects. So more and more, I'm trying to answer the question of why is everyone obsessed with a certain trend? Why do certain things take off? And why are so many people turning to wellness? Mm-hmm. That's great. Well, I, I started off as an active lifestyle and wellness banker back in 2013. And um, so my partners at the firm I work for said, you know, is that, is that like a full-time job? Like, can, can you work on some other industry at the same time? I'm like, look, I think I know what's around the corner here, so just trust me. Uh, and know, then I left uh, and started on my own firm, so I, I never convinced them. You uh, know what's their- funny is that um, you know before I covered wellness, I covered fashion and beauty. Uh, I used to mm-hmm. work at the Today Show, and everyone who used to pitch me fashion brands or lipsticks, 
now is pitching me kombucha brands mm-hmm. or or fitness regimens. It's every I mean it became the industry du jour. So everyone who used to be a brand analyst or publicist for fashion basically all migrated over to wellness. So let me ask you a question, you know, as a journalist and and as a reporter, when when you write something it comes with a certain level of credibility. Obviously a lot of these products and services are not FDA approved. There's not necessarily white papers on them. So, so how do you get comfortable publishing something when you know it's has your name on it and it's deemed that you actually researched it and almost like a stamp of approval? Yeah, I'll say this. Um, I think brands used to love me a lot more <laughs> back uh-huh. when I started this reporting. Uh, I right, think right. I, was a, I was a little less skeptical when I started reporting on the wellness industry. I make the comparison uh, of the tech industry where everyone had so much hope, you know, 15 years ago on social media and the tech industry. Like they really believe claims about how they were out there to change the world. And then over time, you start seeing uh, problematic issues uh, within the wellness industry that happens to be a lot of pseudoscience or products lacking little, if any, scientific evidence. Um, So right now, I would say I'm very, very particular about the brands or the trends that I report on. That being said, sometimes I can report on something that has emerging science and Mm -hmm. kind of give the reader a little bit of context about where we stand, how much we can trust certain claims. And listen, there are a bunch of brands that are doing good work that are investing in research and clinical studies. Um, So it's not like if the evidence isn't there, I won't report on it. Um, But unfortunately, it it is a bit limiting. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Sometimes who I can report on. It really depends on on um, on the sector. You know, fitness is obviously very different than nutrition or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we invested in a company uh, several years ago called the Higher Dose on the uh, infrared sauna and uh, PMF mats, and we, we've seen some great results there. Uh, there. There are some clinical studies related to that, uh, but it's also just you know getting the toxins out of your body, and um, you know getting into a infrared sauna is kind of like a rotisserie chicken, if you will. It's in uh, just getting into a, a steam room. So, so as you look at these emerging brands, are they coming to you? Are you going to them? You know, how, how does it work from your standpoint, from like a sourcing? Yeah. Um, it varies. You know, I have a newsletter called well to do where I sort of track and follow the latest in news and trends. So oftentimes I'm interested in a certain topic and I'll, reach out to a brand. And oftentimes you learn something. Um, I recently did a big investigation that took me nine months for Bloomberg Business Week um, about the microbiome testing sector with an emphasis on a company called Viome. And I went to it with really, I would say, good expectations. And Mm -hmm. what I uncovered, I thought was very troubling. Um, and so that's like a story where, you know, I had good intentions. I really wanted to find out more about the sector and, in speaking to over a dozen microbiome specialists, not one could vouch for this company. So it's a toss up sometimes. This is Pete Moore. I want to let you in on a little secret. There's this company called Promotion Vault. And what they do is they give out rewards from retailers that allow you to incentivize your members without having to do zero down and one month free or giving away shakes or giving away t-shirts. What you want to do is build a rewards program that lasts, that people value, and that doesn't discount your own products and services. So here's the deal. There's something called Rewards Vault. The Rewards Vault is going to allow a member to set up their own profile. They are going to answer questions. You are going to get those answers. You're going to be able to target those members. 
and you're going to reward them inside your club, inside your spa, and outside of the club and outside of the spa to get them to become loyal, to get them to pay their monthly dues, and to be rewarded properly for the actions. A lot of companies are cutting back on rewards. You shouldn't be. Promotion Vault, your answer. Trust me, this is real. Did you ever remember that company? I think it was in 2016, 17 called Juicero. That was, oh, um, yeah. that, that was had like the, the guy would carry around like a 60 pound uh, machine to uh, do cold press juices. And then you could actually just do it with your, uh, with your hands. I think it was a, might have been Bloomberg actually that, uh, that, that kind of called that company uh, from 200 million of valuation, I think back down to, to zero. Um, you know, what, what trends do you see as, sustainable and which ones do you see as maybe you know the top one percent um and you've obviously got a lot of wellness spas and medical spas out there uh, i don't think anyone's kind of cracked the code on it yet and i'll i'll comment on that but what do you, what do you see as like the most effective right now and trending yeah so there are a few i'd say number one there's so much interest right now in the outdoor market um and from various different standpoints. So number one, I just think more and more people want to be outside. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're seeing, you know, the other subsectors related to it, and that could be sort of clothing, uh, that could be events, it could be experiential. Um, you know, I don't think it's, you know, you look at like what's happening around sort of, you know, what I call all tennis, you know, like paddle and all these different sort of sports. Pickleball, that are, yeah. Yeah, pickleball, all that. But also the ski market. I mean, that's like an interesting fashion market that's really, really getting more investment and becoming more interesting. So I think there's so much to be done regarding the outdoor market. Um, and you know, it's funny, it's interesting seeing things that get a lot of buzz and a lot of hype. And then I'm always skeptical about whether they'll last. Um, mm-hmm. so it also sometimes depends within wellness of how long you want to kind of run that wave, how long it's going to last. So you could look at something like, uh, uh, for example, I, I write a lot and a lot of my book was based upon the fact that one of the most ignored pillars of wellness is social connection. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I wrote a piece for the LA Times last year about all these different startups that are trying to get people more socially engaged. Um, and it was a nuanced take. It was saying these are companies that I think do have good intentions and they might be able to work in certain parameters and certain with certain groups. But overall, the idea of getting people to pay to socialize might, might be a tall order. Um, but that is something that I think could use a little bit more innovation. I think people are hungry to be with other people. Um, you know, I've been tracking a lot what's happening in psychedelics, what's happening to the ketamine industry right yeah. now, the ketamine clinic industry. That was something that I was always skeptical about because the rec- it's an emerging field. It's an exciting field, but it's still an emerging field and the science isn't there just yet. And it's also really hard to get people to want to pay for that necessarily regularly, especially if it's not covered by insurance. Um, yeah, I think that that should probably be a, a, a bucket list item. But um, yeah, when I saw the first ketamine ad in a newspaper, I thought I was reading The Onion, you know, that that mock newsletter. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it was like 20% off ketamine. I thought it was like a joke or something. Um, yeah. I thought they only did that at raves. Uh, <laughs> but then I realized it was actually part of the sector. And then, you know, I, I think there's more than just sort of a specific type of trend. I would say I'm more interested sometimes in how the market is shifting. Um, you know, I, I wrote a piece for the LA Times about how I felt, felt that like the 
goopified products are kind of on their way out. And another piece for the New York Times about how science washing is really kind of taking off within the wellness industry, particularly because consumers are demanding scientific evidence, you know? Um, And so I just think every brand now has to prove to their user, to their consumer, that it's worth their buy. Um, You know, I always make the joke that at this point, people have a cabinet that's filled to the brim with CBD stuff that doesn't work. And Mm. now they're just a little bit more skeptical, a little bit more hesitant before going all in on the next trend. So I really think it's, it's worthwhile for brands to take that seriously. I think, you know, there's one study that found that 67% of adult consumers now report a growing mistrust of brands. And there's a big target right now on wellness. And so I think you have to work extra hard to prove that your product is going to work, that there, that the efficacy is there. The one thing that I feel like um, nobody's cracked the code yet or actually put in the work is the sequencing of the services. So if I'm going in, if I do Soul Cycle, let's say like four days a week, you know, how many days should I do a Normatec? Do I do a Normatec, you know, lymphatic drainage and, um, and compression boots? And then should I do a infrared sauna? And then should I do a cold plunge? I feel like nobody set up like the candy land, if you will, of, you know, what services kind of fit and in, in what sequence you do them. Uh, and nobody's given someone like a, a routine or, or a prescription. Uh, they're selling these memberships that like Restore um, or, or, or some of the other um, brands that have come out and, and try to do these medical wellness or, you know, I feel like it's more of like a like a warehouse of, of, um, of biohacking than like a prescription for optimization. I don't know. I don't know how you feel about that. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm kind of skeptical about a lot of these treatments just until the science really catches up with it. So I think a lot of these places are even just trying to focus on getting the scientific evidence just for the treatments alone, whether or not you put that into an encompassing sort of, you know, regimen or program, I think is a little difficult. And also people have limited amounts of time. Um, you know, I know people that belong to a lot of these places like Remedy Place or whatever it is. And, and if you only have a certain amount of, certain amount of time, you're going to prioritize whatever it is you want to prioritize, whether that's recovery or whether that's fitness. You know, so I think it's a little difficult. You know, when you, when you take a look at um, part of your book that really struck me because we're working on a project right now, uh, when you say uh, uh, gym is church, can you, <laughs> can, can you kind of go over that we're, just as a... To preamble on that is uh, we're working with a, a group down in uh, in Tampa who wants to basically do the soul cycle with um, with Christian music and which ninety million people listen to um, and instructors that are doing you know some iterations of of prayer and and, and um, you know some scripture uh, and we did a focus group and it, it, I, I'm not part of that religion but I you know it, it hit me pretty hard um, so so talk about what you found and why that became a chapter in the book. Yeah. So in the book, I really am discussing people who say it in a sort of tongue in cheek way, um, as in, you know, my gym is my church, you know, and they're going there because it offer the, offers them community, it offer the, offers them identity, purpose, you know, kind of all the things you used to find in your local church or synagogue. Um, but it's still secular. Um, now, that's kind of different than what I've been recently reporting on. I did a piece for the New York Times about how the religious communities are actually trying to infuse or kind of bridge gym and church, quite literally. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of one sector that's really taking off right now are sort of religious fitness consultants, 
Well, they will basically implement an entire program in your church, synagogue, whatever it is, to draw in wellness fans. And people might scoff at that, but in interviewing people across the country, I was surprised at how many, well, specifically women will say, I don't have a lot of time. Uh, the weekend is very important to me. So that stretch of time on a Sunday or Saturday morning, I'm not going to be sitting in a pew. I'm not going to be sitting right. in a synagogue. I want to be on a hike. I want to be in a fitness regimen. So kind of combining the two together. I mean, and this is in addition to, let's say, nutrition programs, meditation programs. I mean, I wrote about how even the Pope is getting in on wellness. Like it's, it's, uh, so I'm just dividing those two things because there's a secular aspect to it. And then there is a more actual, literal, religious view of this. So if you were to pull that forward, you know, do you think the private sector ends up, you know, providing programming and partnering with, you know, a large church or, or a synagogue? Or do you think that, these these entities on their own end up like hiring pro di- program directors and try and piecemeal it themselves. Um, I did speak to some uh, programming consultants who are doing very very well. They're being hired by these religious institutions, but oftentimes I also see a lot of religious institutions just have someone who happens to be a huge fitness enthusiast who says, "I would love to implement this program myself." You know, I got my fitness training. Um, right. Or in certain other cases, you know, it could be startups that are more geared towards religious people. So, you know, meditation programs that are for Christians or whatnot. Um, so I, I don't necessarily know that there's going to be such a partnership between the two. Um, and also, you know, when you th- talk about like soul cycle and, and those type of, uh, I would say fitness studios that are, you know, kind of tongue in cheek calling themselves church, uh, it really is just more of a community draw. Um, and it's mm-hmm. kind of one of the issues I, I, I had with their marketing. You know, they call themselves, you know, your tribe, your community, your church. Um, and to which I say, well, good luck uh, telling your soul cycle that you lost your job. You know, can, can right, I still right, come? Right. I mean, you told me I'm your tribe. I'm, I, you're my community. Like, good luck. You know, I'm not saying that organized religion is perfect, but they have had centuries to perfect their systems and they're much more capable of helping people who've fallen on hard times. Yeah. Do you see a, um, just, just given the price of, of being a, uh, you know, living, living a halo lifestyle or living a, a wellness lifestyle, you know, there's definitely a, a, an income divide that is, that is widening. Um, how, how do you think we, we solve that? Is there, um, some kind of, um, you know, give back? Is there, you know, a lot of people do these demographic studies, uh, about where to put their locations, Right. It's all based on demographics and all based on household income. Um, you know, that's discriminatory in and of itself. Right. So so how do you do you see any kind of either you know, government movement? Do you see people saying, hey, we've got to get the rest of the population in here, not just the you know top five or 10 percent? Yeah, there have been experiments with local governments trying to launch their own initiatives, trying to get people outside, trying to get people to do fitness programs. I will say more than just uh, the cost issue is a time issue. You can offer people, you can literally put a soul cycle in the middle of town and offer people free classes, but if they're working two jobs and they're barely able to put dinner on the table because they are so consumed and so overwhelmed, they won't have time to go. 
So yeah, that's one issue. And it's also cultural. You know, I went to Alabama a few years ago and I remember I just went around a small town asking people what their wellness <laughs> regimen was like. And they laughed at me. They were like, we hate that word. We're never going to use that word. Mm-hmm. They were like, I go hunting with my friends. Uh, my wellness looks like hanging out with my family and drinking a beer on Sunday. We don't specifically need the way let's say coastal cities or upper middle income communities define wellness, which feels very rigid to them. Interesting. Yeah. When I, um, when I go into certain airports, I'm, I'm, I'm shocked at the amount of people that are getting on a plane, you know, using a wheelchair um, and, and for no other reason, except for obesity or, you know, seatbelt extender. I feel like we've let that uh, proliferate. Um, I'm not saying it should be a tax on people for that, but I feel like, um, uh, it's troubling that, that we can't get people to take better care of themselves. I think it's very hard for certain groups. I think that for some, they just, like I said, just don't have the time to necessarily take care of themselves and they Mm -hmm. may not have the same education about health pursuits as others. And like I said, it just might look very different to them. You know, I think you can look at coastal cities and see an almost fetishization of health this obsession mm. with, I have to take a fitness class. I have to drink my kombucha. I have to, and you go to different places. And like I said, they're like, I, you know, go on hunting expeditions. I go hiking with my friends. I, I do, I go to be, I do a whole bunch of other stuff. I go swimming in the local lake. It doesn't necessarily have to look like a fitness class. This is Pete Moore. Here's the last tip for you of the podcast. We are partnered up with a company called Higher Dose, higherdose.com. They are the leader in workout recovery products, infrared technology, LED light masks, neck enhancers, and other products such as PEMF mats and sauna blankets. If you have not gotten on the workout recovery train yet, your time and your stop is now. You got to get these products in there before these workout recovery and spas end up saturating your market. Having your members walk out of the club and going into one of their locations for 200 bucks per month where they're paying 39 to you. Let's become an expert in workout recovery if we are already an authority in workouts. Higher dose, check it out. There's a wholesale code and we look forward to helping you augment your products and services to meet the demands of your members. And hey, let's get people happy, healthy, and sweating and the recovery should be just as good as the workout. So, so as you look at 2024 here, you know, where do you, where do you see yourself spending most of your time and what are you most excited about? Well, I just had a baby a few months ago. Congratulations. <laughs> Mazel tough. That's, that's know, a good use of your time. We should just end the yeah. podcast right there and say, I'm focused on my baby. We're good. <laughs> um, and listen, I have to say, I'm one of those people now who really struggles to find the time. I used to be someone who, you know, made sure I got 45 minutes of exercise every day. You know, I, I always made myself a salad for lunch. And now it really is something that I'm struggling with. Um, mm. And so I, I am particularly interested um, in solutions for the time strapped. That is something that I am looking into. I'm very interested in, in companies that are solving for that particular problem. Um, yeah, that's me personally. <laughs> gotcha. Um, you know, what, what, um, you know, what, what trade shows do, do you usually attend or, or where do you, you know, if you're looking for to stay on top of it, you know, besides the well-to-do newsletter that you put out, you know, tell us, uh, you know, give us a little uh, secrets into how you, you know, educate yourself on a daily basis on what's going on. 
Well, I don't go to as many trade shows. I think potentially because I get pitched so many different items and so many different companies, I feel like they land inside my inbox. Uh, I will say that I go to several different conferences. Um, So I like um, the health conference, the health tech conference. I was in Vegas. I'm going to South by Southwest um, to speak on a panel for their health and wellness division. Um, There are various ones that I like. I go to CSICon, which is a skeptic conference. (laughs) I don't oh, yeah? know if any okay. of your crowd's going to appreciate that. I don't that. know that one. Okay. Um, but, you know, I'm a journalist. I don't know if people have been uh, following what's going on in the journalism industry. There's not a lot of money to attend events. Um, mm. So a lot of times it comes out of my own pocket. So I really can only prioritize very certain conferences or ones that I'm invited to speak to or do panels on, but there's just no money in journalism now to send people to trade shows. I wish there was. <laughs> I would yeah. I would show up. <laughs> Gotcha, gotcha. And, and the last question here, and, and we're mostly doing things on, on the finance side, um, on mergers and acquisitions. Are there companies that you know you see as potentially the, the next big thing, uh, but they're struggling to get capital? Whether you know it's the founders have never done it before, or maybe the the product or the service just hasn't picked up light yet. You know, whether it's like cold plunge five years ago wasn't really a business. Now it's a big business. Infrared saunas. Um, you know, the Theraguns and those types of things that are certain things that you see on the horizon? Yeah, um, I think there are certain elements regarding women's health. Um, and maybe I'm a bit biased because it's something I'm interested in now, specifically parenting. Um, but, you know, I did a piece recently on the pelvic health sector that's really, really taking off. Um, and that's something that's, you know, technically you would think medical, but it really is more of a wellness Um, offering because oftentimes it wasn't really covered by insurance. But that is something that's really, really taking off. There isn't enough, I would say, demand is so high right now that they can't, that basically all these different operators and clinics can't keep up with it. So you look at companies like Hinge Health that are growing rapidly. And I mean, both in-person clinic, but also um, virtual sessions that are doing very, very well. So I think there's a lot within women's health that has yet to be tapped that I think is going to go gangbusters over the next few years. That's great. Well, thanks for coming on. Um, appreciate you coming on and congrats on the, Glad on the baby. Glad to chat with you. And if anyone listening has a really interesting story, company, um, do reach out. Um, always happy to meet new companies. That's awesome. Well, we'll see you, uh, we'll see you in person. We will uh, get you using our halo term when you can on the side. Um, and we'll put sure. up all the uh, show notes uh, on the newsletter in the book. So thanks for doing uh, waving the flag here and uh, getting people aware of new products and services to take better care of themselves. And uh, people like you are the ones that matter. So keep doing it uh, while you raise your child. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Take care.